Reese, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about life before Comrade Detective mm -hmm. and when you were starting out in the entertainment industry, what was your strategy? Did you have a strategy? Did you end up here accidentally? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say there's a strategy. Uh, at least I, I didn't know of one. Um, I, uh, I mean, where I grew up was about as far from the film industry uh, as as could be well not as could be i'm sure i could have grown up in siberia too but uh, i grew up in a small village in, in south wales and uh really had zero idea of of you know how you might penetrate the film industry or, or television uh and uh, yeah it was sort of just through lucky i mean again i think me taking some risks and some gambles and then uh and then some happy accidents that i sort of found my way eventually to snl um there's a sort of long story in between obviously but uh uh yeah essentially i i came to, i went to new york uh knowing again that i wanted to work in film television no idea what to do new york seemed like the direction to head la felt like too much of a cultural leap at the time and uh and yeah i you know i just i i I had about five jobs uh, at sort of my first six months there. I was sort of catering and, and working in stores and all that stuff. And then luckily I, I got a job in a post-production uh, facility uh, that edited commercials. And uh, I was working as a receptionist. And I, did, I was there for about sort of two weeks, I think, when uh, Jim Signorelli, uh, who was the longtime film director at SNL, uh, sort of came in to work on something. And I just sort of, I, I, and we ended up chatting and, uh, at a lunchtime and uh, randomly about two weeks after that he called up and just said uh, that his assistant was leaving and did I want to come and work for him. Um, so that was kind of my beginning because um, I, I didn't go to film school, I, I studied theatre so uh, it was a real weirdly fortuitous place to land because the, the film unit at SNL uh, is this sort of machine of film production where we're, they're producing films, you know, from start to finish in three days every week. And uh, and when I started, they were still shooting on film uh, as well. So it was a really amazing, you know, place to land and, and you know, suddenly be on set. And uh, so, yeah, that's where I kind of went there and then worked my way up uh, very slowly. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, and here I am. Well, that's fascinating. So I yeah. guess the lesson too from that is you never know who you'll run into. You don't exactly. Be polite to strangers. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, again, it was. It, it's. Uh, there's definitely moments when I've sort of made a choice to to, uh, you know, maybe be more aggressive or to or to sort of, you know, you kind of you do have to assert yourself and and and, you know, take chances because I don't think you'll ever have the right amount of experience that someone's looking for. Uh, so, I, you know, at SNL, for example, my sort of le my trajectory sort of followed a pattern the first few years of me. It, it, like the SNL season is like a school year, yeah, so it goes September to May, and then you have the summer off, uh, you know, and, and you can, you know, obviously go do other things or not work. But I usually would go and work on something else. And, um, and, and then each, you know, September would roll around. And I, my first few years, I never knew if I was going to get hired again the next season. But, uh, you know, I'd inevitably a phone call would come with, with Jim and, you know, I'd usually sort of just maybe embellish a little bit about what I'd done that summer to sort of elevate my, my experience. So I quickly sort of went from being a PA to uh, a production coordinator the following season. And then, uh, and then I was his line producer, uh, sort of the, the, my third year at SNL, I was line producing the film unit. 
um, and completely flying by the seat of my pants. I had no idea what I was doing and was way in over my head. But, uh, you know, week by week got through it. And, uh, and then I did that for about, I was, I was the line producer there for about five or six years before I, I made the move to directing. And that's a whole other thing too. <laughs> Were you Googling things on your lunch hour? Like, okay, oh, how do I do this? Oh, sure, sure, yeah, I can get Production that. Production <laughs> is, I, I will forever, uh, the, the line producer position is, it really is one of those thankless uh, positions. I mean, you know, I, I commend people that that do it, enjoy it, and, and are good at it, because it's the, uh, to me, it's one of the hardest jobs on set, because, you know, you're absorbing all of the responsibility that you really, the sort of practical responsibility is you, you know? So if a, if a PA doesn't wake up and, get in his truck and bring the camera to set or if the stage is locked or an actor doesn't show up or you know what all the myriad of things or the weather doesn't cooperate it all basically comes back to you to, to solve obviously the director's there creatively to you know constantly has to be doing the dance to solve the problems but as the line producer obviously that's it you know you've, you're the one who's got to keep the machine running and, and you know keep the budget in line and all that kind of stuff and so it's it's really really hard and very very stressful so uh i again that was the that was the sort of the terrifying learning experience was sort of suddenly realizing that your exposure was everything <laughs> you know so uh yeah it's i don't think it's something you can google you can only again i think some people's personalities are made for it uh uh, I don't think I was. I sort of managed to do it for all those years, and and again for me it was an amazing learning experience because you can you you know by becoming responsible for everybody, you inevitably had to learn about every you know position on set because you obviously had to troubleshoot any time anyone had an issue. So you get to know you know the the grip department and their equipment needs and what they do and the electricians and the art department. And you'd, so it was a really good way just for me to really learn my way all the way around and then the same through post-production. Um, again, I just got really lucky. I sort of landed in this weird film school at SNL and uh, you know, was on, on the job training, so yeah. Plus with the stress of knowing that you may not come back. Exactly. That's, yeah, yeah no, exactly. So you always kind of, again, you never rest on your laurels. You sort of take everything as like, well, you know, I'm going to keep going as far as I can and you know because who knows like I might be looking for another job soon you know like not that they encourage a, 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 an environment of uh, insecurity sure. but you know it, I think it helps keep moving you forward uh, you know not to, to get complacent yeah sounds like good life training uh, yeah so it, then doing comrade detective sounds like it was much easier because I know you shot this all on spec and you had to mm -hmm. go over to the eastern block and sort mm -hmm. of location scout yes yeah uh, I wouldn't say it was easier. I mean, I, I think you know, SNL has been an amazing sort of training. I think for uh, for a lot of production circumstances, I think I'm more comfortable with uh, you know, sort of last minute uh, things and, and sort of change. And, and I, th I think I've learned an agility that maybe some people don't necessarily have to go through um, through working in SNL. So. Uh, it helped because there was definitely, you know, a sort of fish out of water quality to sort of getting to Romania and getting to know a Romanian crew and Romanian cast and sort of figuring out how this whole machine was going to work. And we had a very tight schedule as well. It was sort of a ludicrously tight schedule for what we ended up doing. And um, and again, I think, uh, yeah, it's also taught me the stupidity and the naivety to, to just take it on and go for it. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. not knowing is, is actually better. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I'm, I have a weird addiction to, to people, uh, people freaking out around me and, and, and sort of <laughs> trying to find a way through. Okay, well, that, that's an art in itself, and some people are actually really 
well suited for that. So hats yeah. off to you. Not yeah. everybody can. I mean, yeah, who knows? I don't think I do well in battle, but yes, that, that type of battle, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> you're good at talking people down. Right, though, right, exactly. Like, yeah. When you're presented with a script, how can you tell good writing versus bad writing? I mean, there's there's writing that maybe with a few more iterations would be excellent, and then there's mm -hmm. things that you know this just isn't going to work. How That's a really good question. Um, it, comedy as well is a very specific thing because um, you know there are writers that are really good at jokes, um, you know, and can really you know they're just really funny people. Um, but maybe sometimes don't necessarily understand story, uh, you know. So the structure might be. So you might read something that on the surface has some really good beats, but as a whole, it just doesn't glue together. So I think the thing that I tend to look for first in in any script, it, yeah, is a sense of story. Does the, you know? Does this person sort of know the story that they're telling, and and you know, did they understand the sort of structure of things? And you can again, it's a sort of subtle thing that you sort of come to to see um, and obviously also is it a story that that uh, you know that I like I mean uh, you know it's like anything there are films and scripts and what have you that are not for everybody so uh, uh, you know I can't I may sort of not enjoy a script but it's not because it's not good uh, it's maybe it's just not not I'm not the person for it but but yeah no I mean a story is definitely a thing that I think most writers if they can get a good handle on studying that and understanding character and and you know and motivations and what have you that that's that's the sort of foundation the sort of joke writing and stuff I think you know if you can do that as well then then you're on a good track but um, it's, it's really funny it's, it's quite rare to see people who can kind of straddle both things so then how did you meet uh, Brian Gatewood and uh, Alessandro Tanaka it was through this project um, I, uh, I, I came in to I, I met with uh, John Hodges at A24 and he mentioned uh, in the meeting this this weird idea that these guys had come to him with, and uh, I, you know, I, I thought it sounded intriguing, and it was, you know, I just I would think I'd just done season one of documentary now, and you know, so it was in a similar vein. It felt similarly, um, you know, sort of like an exploration of a sort of film genre, and, and also the fact that there was, you know, it was foreign set was really appealing to me. So anyway, so I was interested, and I, I you know, I, I sort of told him I was a fan at the time. I was at SNL and doing documentary now, so I sort of, I was like, well, it sounds great, but you know, unfortunately, I don't think I can do it. Um, but yeah, good luck. And and then about six months later, they called me up and said, you know, we still haven't done it. Looks like we might be moving ahead. Would you like to, you know, read a script and maybe, you know, uh, come in and talk about it? So I got the first episode uh, draft then and. Uh, and read it, and you know it was funny because it's it's it was quite different. There are elements of what it is in what we did, but it's quite different. It was um, again there was a lot more sort of action and and uh, uh, and yeah a lot of jokes. Um, and you know, and I met with Brian and Alex, and I honestly I, the thing I didn't have any sense of them. My experience was sort of SNL writers who have a very particular sort of style and tone, and this was sort of different. And it kind of it did take me a minute to sort of adjust to to this, like, oh, this is like really different and, and interesting. Uh, so yeah, I met them maybe a few months after that. And um, and really, I think what what we hit it off on was once we actually talked, start talking about our own favorite films and, and sort of what they felt influenced them and then what I felt like we could do with the show. Like we sort of came together and sort of realized that we had similar intent um, for the whole thing. And and so then from there, we, we the three of us sort of then developed the, the plot line for the six episodes together and, so, and, and figured it out, which was, uh, 
yeah, it was a fun experience. They, they, they again, as writers, are wonderfully collaborative. Um, that you know, there was no like they were always open to notes and always open to conversations, and it was a really fluid process so the entire way through, um, which was which was great. Wow, that's yeah. That, I mean, that was probably incredibly important because if you're going to then go over to a country that I don't know if either of, or any of you had visited before, right. And really be fish out of water with yeah. crew and everything. You would need. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was also we. The whole thing sort of accelerated very quickly. So it went sort of. I think from me meeting them for the first time to maybe. Uh, then I went and shot documentary now the, the second season and then right at the tail end of that there was suddenly a we want to go shoot this you know the entire series initially it was just going to be a pilot and then it was like no we, we think we're going to a24 we're just going to pay for the whole six for six episodes and we're going to go do it and the window is you know we've got to do it before winter hits really hard in romania um so yes yeah, suddenly i sort of found myself you know racing towards romania uh and uh, then we we landed there and started prep with maybe two episodes complete uh, scripts. The f we had an outline for the whole season, but we hadn't yet sort of really finished the scripts. And uh, so yeah, we were as we were prepping uh, those guys. I sort of kept them locked in a hotel room in <laughs> while I was out around location scouting and and literally sort of phoning, going like, hey, I found a you know this amazing New York city backlot of this studio I you know I think you know I think that could be the finale episode and and it was really and, and then also meeting actors we were sort of casting and you start to hear their anecdotes and stories about the time period we were addressing or family members you know stories and so it was a really cool fluid thing that we're able to sort of keep basically addressing and adapting and, and sort of bringing those elements into the scripts like they, they weren't sort of some sealed you know vault of uh, of, of narrative that we can touch, we were able to sort of really keep molding it as we went. Which, again, crews don't obviously don't love it when you don't have a finished script. Um, once you start prep, because they obviously need to know what they're doing, and they and you know you can you can sort of reassure them and tell them as much. No, 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 this is what the scene's going to be. You know, like it's there's a, but until they see it on paper, oftentimes they just don't believe you, for good reason because oftentimes things change. But uh, so they, you know, it definitely stressed people out a little bit. I think the Romanians, especially, because they weren't used to working that way. But, uh, but I think in the end, it really helped sort of give the, the show a sort of a, a particular Romanian flavor that we probably couldn't have done if we just written the entire thing before going and you know just sort of turned it over. So uh, yeah, it was a it was a good process in the end. Did you take a guide with you or an interpreter? I mean, how would you even know? Just some of the cult, you know, some of the customs and things that to ingratiate you to the area. I mean, yeah, again, obviously, you know, I did a lot of research um, about that time period before goings, and then, but then, no, I mean, almost most of our crew, you know, really spoke um, good English, and um, so that wasn't too much of an issue. And we had a local production, uh, a local studio that was basically producing things for us, who were really collaborative and helpful as well, and guided us. Uh, so um, I think. Brian's going to magically appear next oh, to us. Oh, great. Right? <laughs> All right. Ding. <laughs> oh, well, Brian, thank you for joining us. Thank I appreciate you for having it. me. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Um, real quickly, uh, we were just curious how you got started. I know you had a film in, was it 2011 with Jonah Hill that you wrote with your partner, Alessandro? Yes. Well, actually, I met Alessandro at Columbia Film School um, where he graduated with distinction and I dropped out. Uh, but we had already started writing together and working together. And um, we started uh, writing, I guess our first professional job was probably around 2005 or so. Uh, we started working for Warner Brothers and then um, we spent many years doing a number of different 
you know, rewrites on scripts, we do adaptations, we do punch-ups, and then, um, you know, we ultimately had a, uh, had an original that we wrote, The Sitter, that came out, and um, it, it, was a, it was a lot of uh, writing, uh, a lot of hard work to break in, it's, it's not easy, but, um, you know, getting inside the studio system was actually an advantage for us in that we, we were essentially paid to, to work on writing for a number of years and hone skills and take on different genres and um, sort of uh, build up uh, a toolbox of, of writing, so it was um, ultimately great. But it was a grind to get into it, for sure. Well, I know you've been writing together for, what is it, over a decade or so? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, gosh, it's been a long time. We, we uh, met in our first writing class at Columbia, and we just had similar taste. We liked each other's scripts. And uh, our second year, we, we decided to try to write something together, um, which it turned out to be much more fun to write with a partner than to sit in a room by yourself all day. Um, it's tough to find a partner, and a lot of times uh, I think that people try to do it with friends, but that doesn't really work. I think it's more important that you see um, film or television in the same way of similar worldview, similar sense of humor. Um, and so we weren't really friends, we just liked each other's work. Um, but uh, I mean, we've obviously kind of become friends over the years. But kind, we're very, kind of become friends. <laughs> we're very different people. Um, I, and if he were here, he would tell you that also. But um, we have a mutual respect for each other, and um, we've had a great, you know, probably almost a, a twelve years or decade plus at least writing uh, career together. So it's been great. That's great. I mean, you hear about in the startup world that co-founder breakups are the number one reason something will fail. So it sounds mm -hmm. like, if at least if you can work together, maybe being best friends at the time is is maybe a detriment because you don't want to hurt one another's feelings. So. Right. Um, yeah. No. It's. I'm not sure. We just fell into a natural rhythm of not having egos and being able to criticize each other or praise each other without you know taking it personally and being able. And we also work. Um, you know, very specific hours um, so that we come in and we treat it like a real job and then we're sort of in the moment for, um, you know, six or eight hours or however many hours writing a day and then, you know, we kind of just go our separate ways. And yes, we have become friends because our wives are our friends, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why you became friends? Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I did ask him to be in my wedding years ago and he said, really? Don't you want to ask somebody else to be? <laughs> I was like, this is my writing part. But again, uh, maybe that's there's a, a little bit of a separation in some sense that works. Yeah, it's really just because he's lazy. I don't think it had anything to do with me. I'm just, I'm just kidding. He's a very, he's a, he's a good guy. But yeah, when we have we have a, a very professional relationship, we're also good friends. Well, I was wondering, is one of you more the rebellious writer, and the other one's more follows like certain, a guru, you know, and is. Very dogmatic. Um, I think uh, that's a that's a tough question. I, I, I'm not sure how to answer it because uh, we've just fallen into a natural working relationship. Um, uh, I, I think that Alex probably is more like, let's just sit down and do it. Just shut up. Let's just do it. And I like to, um, you know, really challenge every idea and make sure we're you know, taking the right path, but it's a great mix because it sort of um, keeps each other on our toes. Um, you know, I think that one would more just like to write away and the other maybe uh, let's just think about it for a second and it's a good push-pull. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. opposite personality. That's yeah. That works, yeah. Yeah. So then with Comrade Detective, how did this come about? How did the idea? Um, well, we grew up fans of, uh, you know, 80s entertainment that was ultimately kind of propaganda, sort of uh, the Red Dawn type movies. And I love those movies. We both love those movies growing up. And, um, you know, we thought about what it would be like uh, from the other side, um, you know, like a Soviet perspective um, and uh, sort of an exploration of propaganda. Um, and, um, you know, we looked at global television and we kind of found this world that we didn't really uh, know existed even. And there's a, there's a PBS documentary from the mid 80s uh, about uh, a university in Minnesota that intercepted uh, Soviet satellite sort of network television and um, they studied it for a year and they would do a, a, a show on it every week and it was a fascinating sort of parallel universe that you know when I was a kid there were kids on the other side of the globe growing up with an entirely different perspective um, and we also found there was a show called the 30 cases of major Zeman from Czechoslovakia that was a show about a, a, a communist detective and it was entirely made by the state in order to prop up communist ideals he was sort of like the communist James Bond and we just thought that, you know, that was, I guess, a touchstone early on. But um, once we came around that we were going to make our own uh, faux show, um, that's when, you know, Reese came on and then we started developing the whole thing together and, um, you know, uh, went on sort of a surprising and fun journey and, and an interesting process of, of making something um, that we presuppose existed. Um, and then, you know, all the way from making a show in Romania through the dubbing process, which was a totally experimental process as well. Um, so, yeah. Right. Well, I know with documentary now, you're you're tr uh, getting into the mind of the original creator. How was that too for you? I mean, were you thinking of some of that afterward? You just like said, let's sit down and write this first. Um, we tried to write it from the from a point of view of uh, of a you know communist filmmaker making something that's that's propaganda. Um, I think that it, you're, you naturally are, are grow up with a, with a worldview or sort of your own indoctrination that's probably impossible to entirely shed, but we did try to really think about it from uh, the inverse perspective of, of if we were making something from an American point of view. Um, and how do you take turns writing, or do you? Is there like a favorite place you go to together? We to work on something? probably spend about ninety percent of the time writing in the same room. We feel like it keeps us uh, working, moving ahead, and also uh, we we talk through everything first. So we never really sit down without knowing what's the other one's doing. Um, and then we'll usually we'll either break stuff up, or one of them will take the one of us will take the first stab. Then the other will come in and just start rewriting it right away. Um, we generally like to write what we call a vomit draft, just to try to get get something out and on paper um, right away. And that can sometimes be very close to what ends up, and sometimes it can be entirely different. But um, it's uh, it's important to just start getting your thoughts out on paper. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's a we we pretty much split up a lot of the duties. So. And it's just, a little interesting. I've never heard this before. Oh, you haven't? Oh, really? great. Well, I don't really Do you have any questions? <laughs> no. Was there anything that you... <laughs> I was curious who typed, but you both type. Yeah, uh, I have a trick. Uh, if we have a deadline, I generally just use the you're faster. Uh, which I think I, I think I read once that that's what... Uh, I could be wrong, but I think that 
Ethan Cohn is the faster typer, so he, he <laughs> nice. has to do a lot of the type. That's what I've read. Anyway, but um, but he is. He's like a magician. So if there's a deadline, I usually use that. And he's completely onto it. So he'll generally push back or be like, no, it's it's all you this time. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a it's a trick that I use too many times, but um, but I'll still I'll still pull it out every now and then. Um, but yeah, we uh, it's it's a, just a natural flow situation. There's no, you know there's no rigid rules or. But um, yeah, it's a little bit tough to describe even, I guess. So for someone who's never cast A-list talent before, and, and this could be for either of you, um, how would you suggest that they go about it? And I realize it's, it's not a matter of just pointing a finger of who they want, but in terms of getting things through the proper channels, either of you feel inclined? Do you insights that? It's, it's funny, because I don't, you know, I think having an A-list person uh, involved in your project somehow uh, helps. I think, obviously, I've been lucky because, you know, starting at SNL, we were surrounded by it. And then, uh, you know, obviously, I've, I started Documentary Now with, with Bill Hader and Fred Armisen and Seth Meyers. And so that helped, obviously, open doors. And then, obviously, this project, uh, these guys took it to Channing and he was on board as a producer, which, you know, again, it, it legitimizes you. Uh, it tells other A-list people that it's okay to uh, open that attachment uh, and have a look. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you guys might want to know more as writers. Um, yeah, it's a, you, you, it's usually a process. Generally, you know, unless you're you're you know personal friends with the with the actor, then you usually go through a series of you know. It'll initially probably go to their company, and uh, I mean, in the case of Channing, it was you know we brought it to Free Association along with A24, um, and we pitched you know Peter Kiernan and um, Reed Carroll, and and, um, and and essentially they picked it up. Uh, they they just really liked the idea, and then we went in and talked to Channing about it, and uh, he liked it as well, and that's uh, and then that conversation led to us getting an A-list director. Reese Thomas. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, but he was our he was our collective first choice. It's it's completely true that never happens, um, and um, you know, it, the, getting an actor attached is is generally a great thing. It can it can constrain you because you need to have the right person. Like for this, Channing was the the, the perfect person. So um, you know, it helps when 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 the project and and the actor uh, or the talent really align. Um, but yeah, it's it's generally a, a process of. It's a tough process. Yes, you know, I mean, I think anyone that's trying to get anything made in Hollywood will tell you. I mean, the most of what motivates, obviously, what's getting made is the attachment of stuff. You know, that's where your money comes from and guarantee of audience and all that kind of stuff. So it's like everything is kind of riding on that. A lot of the times, we were lucky, I think, in this show, obviously, because we were basically go the actual sort of you know on the ground, uh, you know. 12, 13 hour day shooting in the cold and all that kind of stuff. We didn't have to take any A-list people from, we had A-list Romanian actors uh, there uh, who, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I think, you know, obviously enjoyed the fact that an American production was coming and shooting in Romania um, and, and, you know, they were wonderful, but, uh, you know, yeah, we had the added benefit that we were just calling up people and saying, hey, can you come, you know, and be in the, the, the dubbing booth for a few hours uh, one afternoon and uh, so it makes life a little easier when you can sort of ask for, for a little less. 
Well, I think I read in the press notes where you said that most of the time in the U.S., you're you know you're you're focused on finding that celebrity, but mm -hmm. for the Romanian part of it, it was it was there was more freedom with that. Oh yeah, you, you, yeah. Yeah, no, it was amazing um, to yeah just to be able to go. Uh, you know, it's almost like casting a, a, a play in you know some in your local town, and you know, with uh, like where you're just looking for the who you imagine that character to be, and you're not with no baggage of of oh we want it to be a Ryan Gosling type or anything like, that. like that's not that you know it's uh, it's we were just people were walking in the room and you kind of would immediately start having a reaction of like is you know and and you know it was, it was interesting because obviously you know these guys you know wrote these characters and, and we developed them together and so it was interesting also sort of getting to then see what we all thought these characters were, were in the process of meeting these Romanian actors as they came in and so to understand like oh okay you saw more as that type of guy and then I mean I, I really think like I probably like 98-99% of the time I think we were all on the same page I don't think there was any mm -hmm. real disagreements about mm -hmm. who we chose um, so yeah it was it was just a really fun like pure casting experience uh, yeah it was it was great I, if I could do everything this way <laughs> to dub it afterwards to get it made <laughs> uh, I would do it because yeah it was great and how long were you in Romania shooting? I think well, it's funny. My wife told me I think it was eighty-two days that we were there. Yeah. I've been telling you, eighty days. days. She said eighty-two. Yeah. Okay. Probably right. Uh, I believe her. Yeah, <laughs> it was a long time. Uh, we basically arrived very beginning of October and left right before Christmas. Yeah. Um, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Right when the winter in Romania was just uh, just about to start getting lethal. Uh, yeah. It was. It was. It was a good yeah. day. Yeah. It was a great experience. Though. So the flight over, how long was that, and what was going over? <laughs> oh, flight back with the footage. What was going through your mind? Uh, well, I was hungover. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, yes, it was yeah. sort of wrap party straight to. Yeah, we went from the we wrapped party. We literally wrapped. Uh, I think at six thirty a.m. a Monday morning. We had the wrap party Monday night, and then we flew out at six thirty or something yeah. silly. Uh, the following morning, and uh, yeah, I, I <laughs> the morning of departure, I, I, I was woken up by Brian phoning <laughs> my room, and, and I sort of woke up fully clothed on my bed, and he's like, "Hey, where are you? <laughs> like, what, what do you mean?" And I wasn't packed or anything. Like I, it was, I got out of that hotel room in about ten minutes, uh, maybe less. Uh, left a bunch of stuff, I'm sure, and uh, yeah, we got, got to the airport. It wasn't just me though; our producer. Uh, Brian had to also wake him up. Brian was who, responsible. Who was in his underwear? I should mention when oh, wow. I woke him up. So, so Reese was much was more prepared movie. for yeah. the, uh, yeah. the quick, <laughs> the quick exit. But uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a it was a wild time. It was it was a cathartic experience to get to the end of, of shooting and and to then have a party with you know Romanian cast and crew was was fun. So we enjoyed it. So it sounds like the strat you were just more recuperating, but then when, once you got a good night's sleep or a week's worth of sleep, what was the strategy, or did, was that already planned in terms of bringing it to Amazon? And oh yeah, no, I mean it was funny because we we you know so we went out and shot the show on spec. A twenty four, you know, paid for it uh, and took the risk, but yeah, we didn't know where it was going. So then we shot it, came back, and you know had a little break over Christmas, and then uh, and then set about just editing the Romanian show um, as an original Romanian show so we were cutting it uh, in Romanian with subtitles um, and we you know it probably took from I think by the end of February we had uh, all six episodes maybe it was early March all six episodes in Romanian cut 
somewhere during that process, maybe once the first two episodes were done, I think we got word that Amazon mm -hmm. were either interested or it was moving, looking that way. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, at the time when we started, it was just a, let's start working on it and see what we got. Yeah. It, it, which is a totally unorthodox way of going about it. I mean, usually there's at least a pilot or you know, somebody who's gonna air it in advance. But um, you know, A24 is a, a young company with um, bold ideas. And uh, you know, we sort of, we had a pilot, we had Reese, we had Channing, and then the, the thought process was sort of why, why go to Romania and just make a pilot when we could, you know, uh, probably make something for, you know, not a, not a large amount of money um, and just do a whole six episodes and then come back with that to sell that um, which is uh, which it, you know takes a lot of guts and uh, give a24 you know a huge amount of credit for that right right and there's the stress of not knowing whether it'll happen and all the time and money spent and I'm wondering did anything in life prepare you for that ahead of time I know Reese you talked about your job that you had especially mm -hmm. in the early days of being in New York and the stress and balancing all that I would just say working in, you know, studio system for 10 years or whatever uh, toughens you up to the point where you're just, you have to be prepared for all sorts of scenarios, um, often, uh, especially as a writer, rejection. So um, at this point, you know, it's still, you're, it's still on your mind and you're still hoping and um, I feel like we you know, we thought we were making something, you know, really interesting and great. And um, so, uh, you know, I was probably a little bit confident in my better moments. And, and I'm sure I had some some, some darker moments uh, late at night. Sure. Um, but uh, but everybody was so enthused and, um, you know, uh, having such a great cast, having a guy like Reese behind the camera, um, you know, definitely instilled a confidence in us that, that, that sometimes is hard to come by in this business because you get knocked down so much um, and things just usually don't turn out as you planned as much as you try to, to uh, you know, harness control of uh, your work. It can, it can go sideways at any moment, so. Um, I think ultimately, like the fact that you're getting something made, yeah. uh, that, you know, that, that's the biggest hurdle, is just getting someone to give, like, give you the keys and yeah. say, go, go and make it, I think then then it is in your hands to obviously deliver it um but yeah if you're at that stage then you know i think that's when the momentum kicks in and and, and you know you like i don't know that that's where i feel like you can even though it seems obviously the stress begins of trying to do it you can also relax like okay we're here now and, and and i think i think always knowing how hard it is to get projects off the ground here at the yeah the, that first day on set like I was you always feel lucky <laughs> that you're actually there doing it and not you know going to another meeting and just hoping someone likes you or some you know whatever uh, so yeah that's the, that's the tough bit and then um, yeah and then obviously you just have to try and stand behind what you're doing and and deliver it uh, which you know obviously I'm not trying to make it sound easy but that's that's to me that's sometimes the easier side of it uh, than yeah than getting the project going in the beginning Lastly, was there anyone from your past, a mentor or someone that you admired, you'd watch from afar maybe, that you just really liked how they handled situations or you liked how they did things or their mindset? And what was that that's kind of always stuck with you, even if you didn't really consciously realize it? Um, well, I would say I had a personal mentor, uh, 
Jerry Cass, who was a, a playwright um, from New York. He was a professor that uh, Alex and I had at Columbia, who was a, a near and dear friend who unfortunately passed away um, some time ago. But um, but he was sort of. Uh, a huge influence because when I got to film school, he was one of the first, uh, you know, uh, older seasoned writers to come to you and say, I, you know, I think that you know what you're doing is 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 really great work, and um, he was incredibly encouraging, and he I, we sort of became family. He then, um, you know, uh, introduced us to his wife, who's Delia Efron, who's one of the Efron sisters, and she's amazing. Um, uh, Jerry was uh, my son's godfather and Delia is my uh, my son's godmother and so I'm still very close with Delia but uh, and she's she's definitely filled uh, uh, some of that um, you know uh, space of, of Jerry's that that uh, he used to occupy but they they've both been great to us um, over the years um, so yes yeah, so we had a, a personal mentor and uh, in terms of 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 mentors from afar, um, you know, there's probably a whole bunch. <laughs> um, uh, maybe, do you have, do you have any? <laughs> I mean, I can say for this project, I would say that there was a, uh, we've talked about this before, um, uh, the way that Stanley Kubrick, uh, uh, you know, he's, he started out thinking he was going to adapt Red Alert, um, a, sort of a serious uh, thriller look at, at nuclear war, and then the more he looked at it, the more absurd it was to him, and that ultimately became Dr. Strangelove. Uh, and I think that, you know, sometimes looking at, in this case, at propaganda, at, at entertainment as propaganda, it's sort of the more we look, the more kind of absurd it became to us. So I think that that, at least for this particular project, was probably a bit of uh, an inspiration from afar. Um, in terms of sort of, yeah, uh, direct mentors, I mean, I, I mentioned Jim Signorelli, who was the director that sort of, uh, you know, kind of brought me to SNL. Um, and, you know, it was really, he'd been around for a long time. He'd been the director there since 1975. Um, and so it was just this fascinating guy that, that knew everybody's job on set. Like he could always answer if a crew member came to him and said, we can't do this, he always had an answer for it. Like, cause he'd, he'd basically been in that situation before and kind of had a trick or whatever. So I definitely learned a lot from him. But then I was also lucky that um, I, I kind of grew up with the crew that I eventually worked with um, because I started as a PA at, at the film unit and then, you know, and then was the you know, became a producer. Um, all the individuals that would eventually sort of start, you know, basically supporting me once I started directing were all people that, you know, when I was, you know, young and silly and didn't understand what was going on, were, were there, you know, sort of teaching me and showing me what was going on. So, you know, I think them and seeing their interactions, not only with, you know, with me, obviously, but with other directors, I got to do that too, you know, like the, I, I would sort of, I'd be the one that come out and we, we you know, we worked, I remember we had Jason Reitman come in and Noah Bombach and then and obviously Jim and different people and getting to see that the, who they responded to and the aspects of, you know, what they felt like worked with each person and all that kind of, you know, those dynamics, um, I, you know, I don't know, that was a really valuable thing to have that relationship with those people and sort of see what they valued um, in the people that were sort of, you know, uh, in charge or, or, you know, they were sort of leaping into battle with. And, um, and so I've always 
you know, kind of tried to take sort of lessons learned from that. And, uh, and then, you know, from afar, I think obviously there are, there are influences and, and people that I love. Um, you know, again, we talked on this show, you know, Brian De Palma and Roman Polanski, you know, so were, for me at least, you know, pretty important. And uh, Jonathan Demme and I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson was kind of that, that he, I remember he was a sort of watching Boogie Nights was the first mm. time I feel like my brain kind of clicked to like that seeing yeah. a director's hand actually at work. You know, I'd always loved film and I'd lo- I grew up, you know, with Spielberg and love those universes but then there was something in Boogie Nights I just remember I think maybe I was just at the right age and, and sort of open to it that I suddenly was like no, noticed that the filmmaking just became really apparent to me and what was happening and um, so yeah there's a, you know there's all moments like that I think and you know that's what I love about what doing being able to do this is that it's a completely fluid industry and in that you you know you never know everything you you know you continually get to learn new tricks from people and learn you know and see new things and um, and also, you know, there's constantly new content coming out that is surprising you or, and teaching you and showing you different ways of seeing things. And, and yeah, so it's, it's, you know, you get the opportunity, the fact that you can keep adapting with it, that there's not, there's no rule book that says, well, this is how you do it. Uh, it's, that, that's, you know, that's not there. It's tough at the beginning when you start, the fact that there is no rule book <laughs> is the most infuriating thing. You're like, well, what am I doing? But once you, you know, once you realize that really it is, it, again, it's, you get comfortable with your own sort of understanding of things uh, and, and, you know, can sort of recognize that it's, it's, it's wonderful.